Okay, uh, take your Bibles. Let's go back to, uh, well, let, let's actually start in 1 Peter chapter 5. I want you to see this here in a second. 1 Peter chapter 5. And uh, talking about four elements of every church and how they're lived out, how they're done may be slightly different, but those four elements are uh, worship, the ordinances, discipline, and doctrine. It would be hard to have a church without one of those. So we're focused on how we, as Elmira Baptist Church, uh, handle those things. We looked at worship. We didn't really look at ordinances. We've looked at baptism and the Lord's Supper before. And then we were talking about a discipline. And who remembers the word, the key word to discipline? What is the goal of discipline? Yeah, restoration. Reconciliation. That's right. The goal is not punishment. It's not punitive. We're not trying to hurt people. They hurt us. We're going to hurt them. We're not angry. We're not trying to, to you know, blow things up. We're, we're seeking restoration. And we'll talk more about that. But keep that, rest, keep that in mind. Restoration. Um, and so we were looking at the process and how we always start with one. Uh, I, I, I say always. I mean, this is the goal. Sometimes things happen a little bit out of order. But one to one. You see a brother. He's doing something he ought not to be doing. And obviously it's public. Someone was asking me about this. And they said, well, you mentioned public sins. Well, the reason it's public sins is because if it's a private sin, how would I know? I'm sure, I shouldn't say I'm sure, pretty sure, probably, Sunday morning, if we knew everything that you and I had done the week before, we could find something. Um, uh, God is so gracious and merciful. None of us are perfect, but we're talking about things that you know about. I'm not going to come to your house, you know, in the middle of the night, see what you're watching. I, I don't know. I'm not going to come to your work and, and uh, try to catch you in something. It'll have to be public. But if it is public, then uh, we deal with that one-to-one. If the person responds to his brother or sister who comes to him and says, hey, you can't be doing this, and there's restoration at that point, that's fantastic. That, that's a goal. If there's not restoration at that point, you take one or two witnesses with you. So now there are two or three people. You go back to that brother again. This is all in Matthew 18, by the way. Matthew 18, 15 through 18. Uh, if he responds to that, great. That, that's where we end it. And then um, if he will not respond to that, then we bring it to the church. Again, the goal, restoration, reconciliation. The church deals with him, seeks to uh, restore him, reconcile him. We pray, maybe fast and pray. Uh, but if he won't respond to that final admonition from the church, then we would, at, a, at a, one of the church's meetings, one of the agenda items would be to remove that person from fellowship and to ask those of you uh, who are members to no longer fellowship with him, out, even outside of church. Uh, and that would be a really traumatic step but that's the goal. Now, I wanted to start here in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5 because I want to talk about um, some principles that are applying church discipline uh, so that you can help, so you can think through this with me. Like I said, we don't want to wait until there's a problem and we're in the middle of dealing with it. It's like surgery, right? And you're in the middle of surgery. You don't want to stop and say, now, um, let, me, let me teach you something here. I, don't want to, I want the surgeon learning on me. I want him to know what he's doing going in. And that's what we're doing tonight, is just helping us think through these issues. So um, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5 says this, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Notice the center there, yea, all of you. 
be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. We are all subject one to another. There's a mutual accountability. And when does that mutual accountability start? What, what event in a person's life starts that mutual accountability? Who remembers? Yes, Matt. Salvation. Well, actually, it doesn't technically begin at salvation. I mean, when you're saved, you're God's child right away. But when does that mutual accountability start? Daniel, did you raise your hand or were you scratching your head? Oh, same thing. Okay. Yeah, the membership. That's right. Membership. Now, remember I said this. We may have people join us on a Sunday morning. They may have some serious problems, but they're, and they're Christians. They're God's child, but they haven't yet said, hey, I want to be a member here. So I might deal with them. Um, in fact, not might. I would. I'm called as a pastor to shepherd people, even if they're not members. However, how do I remove them from the membership if they're not members? By the way, just quick, we had that happening when I first arrived. There was a situation, and I wasn't comfortable with it. One of the members brought it to my attention. I said, have you talked to this person? Yeah. I went to the membership roles. They weren't a member. I, 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 if they would have been a member, I would have brought it to your attention, and we would have removed him. But he wasn't a member, so there's nothing to remove, right? So I talked to the deacons, just let them know what I knew, and, and just some accountability there. But if they're not a member, so here's my point to you. If you've got a public sin, don't ask me to become a member. Because <laughs> one of the first things we're going to have to do is confront that, right? And, and uh, I mean, we're going to confront it either, either way, but it's going to be more traumatic. So when you say, hey, I want to be a member here, not only are you saying, I want the benefits. Well, this is a benefit, but not, I want the benefits of the church. You're also saying, I want you to hold me accountable. And that's why I think it's so important that if God leads you to a new geographic location and you have to leave your membership here, and I understand that. That happens. Find, before you move, find a good church where you're going to jump right in and say, I want to be a member here. Because they're going to help keep you accountable. They're not going to let you, you know, quit coming on Sunday, right? And then, well, I really, I really should be going, right? No, no, they're going to be calling. Hey, what, what happened? You said you want to be a member here, but you're not coming anymore, right? So we want, we want that accountability. And uh, this verse, and also you can write it down, Ephesians 5.21, talks about uh, submitting uh, one to another. And uh, that, it's on that basis that um, we submit one to another. Let me mention a second principle here of church discipline, and that is we want to keep the solution to the sin problem it, to as small a group of people as possible. We're not trying to publicize everybody's problems. So if you were to come to me, for example, well, in fact, let me give you an example from Mongolia. We had a lady come to us, and she had had an abortion. You know what we didn't do? We didn't drag that before the whole church. We dealt with that. Uh, my wife and I uh, dealt with that. My wife, because I don't deal with ladies one-on-one, -on -one, so my wife and I dealt with that situation. There was repentance and restoration, done. Right? No need to bring it to the church. We, got, we solved it right there. And I didn't preach from the pulpit about this lady down here who's, right? I, I, nobody knows. We don't need to make the, the circle any wider than it needs to be. So if you're ever involved with me in one of these situations and you say, well, you know, pastor, you know, I know that person repented and they've been restored, but shouldn't we tell everyone? No. Now, I, I do tell the deacons often if there's issues for, for personal accountability so they don't feel like I'm hiding things, but I want to keep that just as small as... Uh, I can. And I think if you were ever on the other side, you'd be glad that we kept it small. 
rather than publicizing it to everyone. Here's the last uh, principle, and uh, this is important to me, that everyone in the church, including the pastor, is subject to church discipline. The whole purpose of 1 Peter, not the whole purpose, excuse me, the main uh, purpose of 1 Peter 5, he's talking to the elders. Look with me at verse 1. The elders which are among you I exhort. He goes on to say, feed the flock of God. Verse 3 says, neither is being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And then he says, verse 5, likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder, yea, all of you, be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. And so, even the pastor needs to be held accountable. Um, it is a little different. Look, look with me next at 1 Timothy, uh, verse 5. 1 Timothy, verse 5. I, I say a little bit different. I, I, I shouldn't have said it that way. There are some specific instructions about an elder given to us in 1 Timothy verse 5. So let's look at those. And I'm going to ask you a question about the verses we're about to read. Verse, yeah, verses, two verses we're about to read. So I want you to think about what we're reading here. 1 Timothy 5.19. 1 Timothy 5.19. Against an elder, receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Them that sin, rebuke before all that others may fear. Let me read that again. Listen carefully. Against an elder, receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses, them that sin, rebuke before all, that others also may fear. What instruction is in that verse that doesn't align with something else I already said tonight? And yes, I'm making you think. Yes. Yes, that's, that's true. That's not the part that stood out to me, but he's right. That is true. What else? Right. Remember I said we're going to try to keep this to as small a group as we can, except when it's an elder. Them that sin, rebuke before all, that others may see and fear. Now, I, I can't give you all the reasons why God says the things he does, but I know that's what he said. So this is, would be one exception if we had a pastor. We have me. Uh, if we had two pastors, we, one pastor, doesn't matter. If I'm caught in a sin, yes, needs to be confronted. Yes, the goal is still restoration. But there's this uh, admonition, this instruction, that the elders that sin, them that sin, it says, them being the elders, them that sin, rebuke before all, um, that others may see and fear. So that would be the exception where instead of trying to keep it to the smallest possible group, we're going to have to open that door up and let pretty much the whole church, I would say, the whole church know. Church being the members. Any questions about that? Nirma? So, Pastor, when I say a difference here, um, literally, it's just when I hear the charges myself, except um, the charges, you do it. Yeah, right. It has to be verified. Yes. Yes. Nirma's exactly right. And that was Guillermo's point is that in the other instance, you might have one person go to one person and then you know they're going to bring two or three witnesses and go to that person. Here, you're not even going to start the process, if you will, until two or three people were a witness to whatever public issue it is. But once this ball gets rolling, it, it just needs to roll on through. Um, I don't, don't think, 
and I'm, I'm instructing you in this because again, if I wait till we're in the middle of the trauma, it's a terrible time. Don't think that you're saving the church's reputation by hiding the pastor's sin. Because what happens is, what does God say? Uh, be sure your sin will find you out. And when it comes out that the pastor's been up to no good, I mean, we're talking about serious sins. We're not talking about a pastor who's speeding on Leisure Town. Okay, we're talking about more serious sins than that. When it comes out that you've been protecting a man who's been doing this evil, that's really going to make the church look bad. So again, Nirmas and Girmo are right. You, you want to make sure you've got two or three solid witnesses that saw whatever it was that you're dealing with. Take it to one of the deacons. And I've told my deacons, I don't know, just seems like every meeting I instruct them. If you receive an accusation against me, you've got to investigate. Find out what really happened. And if you have... Again, two or three witnesses that saw this issue, we've got to bring it to the church. And there is a provision in the Constitution for that, for the deacons to call a meeting to bring this issue to the church. Because, I mean, if you go to the pastor, what is he going to say? Well, we don't need a meeting. I don't want to talk about this. And that's where, uh, as, as we, we're getting ready to elect deacons, you want, we want to. We want to elect deacons who will stand up for the church even if they have to saying to the pastor, hey, you know, we're not going to let you do this. Guillermo. I was thinking, this almost requires a contingency plan because you know that if that happens, yeah. there's going to be people that side with the pastor. That's right. But it's going to impact the pastor the church is going to probably, so yeah. Right. So, so Guillermo's right. That's why I'm not going to wait to teach this to you. Because if this were to happen, I mean, Guillermo's right. It would be so traumatic for the church. Church split is probably a, a fair result. I, I'm not fair. Excuse me. Not fair at all. That's not what God wants. But often a pastor will have such a charisma. He'll have friends. And they'll feel he's been unjustly accused and people are attacking him. But that's, I think, uh, not I think, that's one of the reasons we have two or three witnesses. It isn't Guillermo's word and my word. It's two or three reliable people. You know them. They saw the pastor doing whatever it was, and we've got to deal with it. And so the, the, the read the Constitution, Guillermo. You need to know it. <laughs> There's a provision where the deacons call the meeting, and then they say, hey, it's the pastor we're going to deal with. And um, based on, on uh, uh, you all siding with righteousness, the pastor goes. And then you need, of course, you need to call a new pastor. But um, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't, no, let me say it this way. Don't think that by hiding the pastor's sins, you're doing the church a favor. You're going to make it worse. You're going to make it worse. Daniel, you had a question or comment? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> no, no, not the U.S. Constitution. There is a constitution for our country. Yeah, Elmira Baptist Church has a constitution. Remind me after the service, I've got a copy. I'll give you one. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I would encourage all of you, I, I need to be, I need to be more diligent to hand you a copy of the constitution Warren, because it's in there. Yeah, Warren, go first, Warren. We'll work our way across the room. Um, in this context, does Yes. Is that your question? Okay. I take all of the uh, references to elder um, and to bishop in the New Testament as the office that I'm occupying. Um, it might help us if we called people elder, but it just 
I mean, we've, uh, English uses, we call him pastor, right? So, uh, but the term pastor literally means shepherd. And I'm not this shepherd, I'm the under shepherd of the sheep. Jesus Christ being the chief shepherd. And then the elder refers to the level of spiritual maturity. We shouldn't, we should never have a pastor at a church who's spiritually immature. And the term bishop refers to his, his role overseeing the church. But I use those two words, pastor and elder and bishop, synonymously. I, people, there are good people I know who disagree with me, but I don't see why. That's why I don't do that. But I'd be curious if you got some verse in mind. I, I can't think of it. There are some things, there are some thoughts in there. Yeah. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Yep. AJ, you had a question or comment. There's a, I heard this commentary on situations like this. Uh huh. Um, many churches, especially the, the, the ones in which pastors are better known, yep. are referred to as that particular pastor's church. Right. John MacArthur's church. Mm hmm. Uh, you know, not to name some terrible names, but Andy Stanley's church. Or right. We say the the. Uh, I don't know that I do. <laughs> but people refer to our church hopefully as Elmira Baptist. Right. And not right. Scott Dean's church. Right. Right. Don't let them do that, please. Right. Yeah. Um, and and the danger here, of course, is the church becoming a cult of personality. Yeah. And the central figure of the Christian church is Jesus Christ. Yes. This is Jesus. Yes, it is. Thank you, AJ. Good, good reminder. If you hear me say the word my church, feel free to correct me. But I'm not thinking, my mind isn't thinking this church belongs to me. My church means the church of which I'm a member. Just like you might say, hey, would you come to my church? You don't mean you own the church. You mean that it's the church to which I belong. So, but AJ is exactly right. And that's why it's so important that we protect the church. If we even have a pastor or an elder who is uh, engaged in serious mis behavior. We got to deal with it. I know it's tempting to say, well, we're going to look terrible to the community. We don't care what the community thinks. We care what God thinks. So let's just keep that in mind. Anything else before we go on to doctrine? Because again, this is one of those traumatic experiences. I hope we'd never have to go through this as a church, but I want to want to get it out there now because later I'm not going to want to get it out there. Assuming there's a problem. There's not going to be a problem. You're going to pray for me. Titus chapter... 3. Let's go on to doctrine. Titus chapter 3. Yeah, pray for me. It's not that I am above sin. None of us are above sin. That's why we need to pray for each other. Titus chapter 3, verses 9, 10, and 11. But, but avoid foolish questions. This is Titus 3, 9. But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and striving about the law. For they are unprofitable and vain. A man that is an heretic, after the first and second admonition, reject, knowing that he that is such is subverted, and sinneth, being condemned of himself. This is talking about heresy, and uh, I just started here to point out that God cares about doctrine in the church. God cares a lot about our doctrine. And the, in, a, in, a, in the current American way of thinking. I don't mean American Christian way of thinking. American way of thinking, uh, we, we, we naturally respond strongly to this concept of doctrine because doctrine divides. 
Doctrine actually does not unify people unless they all agree on what the doctrine is. And that's why we have a church statement of faith, which Daniel's in the Elmira Baptist Church Constitution. I hope that all of you, not I hope, I, I know that when you became members, you were subscribing to the statement of faith, which I was going to go through the headings tonight or maybe next Wednesday night. But you subscribe to the statement of faith. You understand what our doctrine is, and we all agree about that doctrine. When there is someone who comes in, and this is what this verse is talking about, with a different doctrine, and he wants to argue. I don't, there are people every Sunday that come and join us. They don't want to argue doctrine. They may not agree with us, but they don't want to argue doctrine. Those people don't bother me. But when they come in and they want to argue doctrine, we have to reject it. So here's what the Bible says. We're not going to argue about foolish questions, genealogies, contentions, strivings about the law. And there's, some other, there's another list uh, elsewhere. But that's uh, uh, the point I want to make. Doctrine divides. Turn with me to John chapter 7. John chapter 7, we're going to look at verse 43. Actually, we're going to look at the verses around it too. But John 7, 43, let me read this to you. John 7, 43 says, So there was a division among the people. Well, what were they divided over? Look with me at verse 40. Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying that Jesus had said, said, of a truth, this is a prophet. So some people said, Jesus is a prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. Some people said, he's the Messiah. But some said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? Now we're to John 7, 42. Hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. What were they divided over? They were divided over what the Bible taught. Doctrine divides. The reason we're a Baptist church and not a Presbyterian church is because we see the Bible and it's teaching about baptism and we disagree with our Presbyterian brother. Now, I know Presbyterians, I think they're saved. They just are wrong, right? We get to heaven, we'll all be set right. Doctrine divides. Don't let that bother you that doctrine divides. But I do encourage you to be humble because the Bible says, yea, all of you be subject one to, one to another and be clothed with humility. So don't be uh, proud of your doctrine, but definitely understand that doctrine divides and uh, that we, we understand that. If people say, well, you're divisive. Well, it's not that we are divisive, it's that doctrine divides and we have to stand with truth. We can't be unified around unity. We have to be unified around the truth. Keep that in mind, unified around the truth. Let me show you something else while we're in the Bible. Jude chapter 1, there's only one chapter in Jude. Verse 3, Jude 3. Yes, Guillermo. We kind of went through that kind of quick, but I, I mean, it's not a, is it that? Like you said, well, the Presbyterians are saying, I mean, Catholics. Mm -hmm. What about Catholics? Different things that we know are not biblical. That's right. So, so are you Catholic? Never. No, so you just divided yourself, right? You just said, I'm not a Catholic, right? So people would like to, us to say, uh, not, this is, pressure is not so strong right here in Vacaville, but it was very strong in Mongolia. People wanted us to say, people being a Mongolians and missionaries who come to Mongolia, say, don't talk about your denomination. We're all Christians here. Well, are the Mormons Christians? Well, maybe. Yeah. Uh, the JWs? Well, they might be Christians too. We're all Christians. That's not true, is it? No. Now, we can easily say the Mormons... Jehovah Witnesses, because they deny the deity of Jesus Christ, 
they're not, they're not even close to Christian. I don't know what they are, but they're not Christian. There may be, like I said, Presbyterians. I consider Presbyterians to be Christians. They're wrong on other issues, baptism being the big one, but, but they're still Christians. But I don't, I don't consider myself a Presbyterian, and if the Presbyterians hold a meeting in town, I'm not going to attend it, because I'm not Presbyterian, Right? Some of those churches, and I don't know the churches, yeah. women that are now allowing homosexual marriages. Yeah, yeah. Women to be pastors. Yep. So, I mean, what about that? You know, is, is, isn't that something that will, that I can. I mean, and, and all I'm trying to do is because you made a statement, doctrine divides. Divides, right. But, but the question to me, more serious, is all right, it divides, but also up to what point, like you said. Mm-hmm. This is Mormons. Yeah, if, if they, you know, if they really sort of have some bizarre beliefs, are they saved? Is that your question? The reason I'm letting you talk is I'm not really sure what your question is. And I'm not making fun. I just want to make sure I address your question. <laughs> let, let me remind you that the church, not you, the church. Did Paul consider the people at Corinth to be a church and to be Christians? They did. Did they have serious problems? Yeah, oh yeah, big problems. So I think there are really messed up churches. You don't want to be a part of one. I don't want to be a part of one. Um, and because you brought it up, I will speak to this issue. Yes, I've read the position paper that the Father's House put out on ordaining women. And they're wrong. They don't bring the Bible in. They bring in modern Christian culture. And we got to da 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 we can't follow the culture, right? We've got to follow the Bible. So don't join the Father's house. Okay, sorry. You're on Facebook. I, sorry. <laughs> I don't. I mean, be, why? Because there, another issue that was, came to my attention um, this week was the speaking in tongues, right? They promote speaking in tongues. Don't go to church that promotes speaking in tongues because the, the tongues in the New Testament, I have a sermon on this. I haven't preached it because I didn't want to necessarily open up this can. But the tongues in the New Testament are languages that people understood. In the book of Acts, chapter 2, when they're speaking, they're speaking in the tongues of Medes. They're speaking in the tongues of uh, uh, folks from Babylon. They're speaking all these known languages that they personally hadn't studied. It would be like me going to Costa Rica with Guillermo and suddenly I could speak Spanish. The miracle is I don't know Spanish. I never studied. I never studied Spanish. I know things like burrito and taco, right? The th really important words. I don't know how to speak Spanish. If I, suddenly I could speak Spanish, that would be a miracle. And um, 
Isaiah chapter, I believe it's 28, tells us that the, the purpose of that miracle of these men who had not studied the language, speaking in that language, was a sign to unbelievers that this was the word of God. Most people, when they talk about speaking in tongues today, they're, they're talking in a language nobody knows, they say to you. Nobody knows this language. It's not Mongolian. It's not Chinese. It's not Russian. It's not Spanish. It's just, it's my own personal language. I don't see that anywhere in the scripture. I don't even, no, I'm just teasing. Go ahead, Caleb. Yes, that's what I, yes. Okay, so, do you have a provision for when the church has a blind spot hmm. to a certain doctrine and it needs to be addressed? No, there is no provision for addressing blind spots in the church constitution, I assume you're talking about. Well, I think it just meant like in, in general, not necessarily in the constitution, like if the church has a serious doctrinal issue, but we right. don't know about it because we don't talk about it. We don't, we don't right, okay. So there's a difference in my mind. Caleb's brought up a good question, and I want to address this. I'm going to use Caleb because he just brought this up. Let's imagine Caleb has a doctrinal issue he wants to discuss. Please come to me. Let's discuss it. I'm all for discussing doctrine, you and I. But if Caleb wants to argue doctrine, he wants to come into the church and say, you know, your pastor's wrong here. What you all really need to be doing is speaking in tongues, right? Or we really need to... Um, Ordain Nirma, she's much smarter than Pastor, which she probably is, but we're going to ordain Nirma, and, and he starts to stir up trouble. That's where Titus comes in, and we say, listen, we can love you as a brother and say, don't ever come back to our church, right? Because you're, you're, you're causing uh, division, you're causing discord, and our church has very clear statements on these issues. Now, what happens, I, I don't know if this is, what well, Caleb, were you referring to sometimes... Doctrines crop up in a church because as the culture changes, things that we've never thought about as a church suddenly have to be addressed. Is that the type of issues you're talking about? That, and also maybe you misunderstood the scripture. Sure. You scripture. Yep. Maybe you misunderstood or something like that. It could be any right. So here's, uh, thank you, Caleb, for bringing that up. So here's what you do. You start by coming to me. You talk to me. Let's have the discussion. Let's open our Bible. Warren's going to look up these elders, and we're going to talk at some point. I'm not making fun. Warren and I talk sometimes. So we're going to talk about these elders. Some of you have talked to me about other issues. That's great. I, I love to talk doctrine. What I don't want you to do is stir up discord, uh, start arguments, ask leading questions that lead people to be confused. And often these people, they come in and they ask the immature Christians. And then the immature Christians are confused. Well, well is my church wrong? Watch out for those people. We were in Mongolia. Um, true story, we were in Mongolia. We had these two teenage boys come to visit. And we had a visitor come. He was in his 50s. I don't know exact age. He looked like he was in his 50s. So he's an older man. I later found out he had been in Mongolia for longer than I had, much longer than I had. And he wanted to discuss doctrine with one of the teenage boys. Why do you think, I'm asking you, why do you think he wanted to discuss doctrine with those teenage boys? Could have come to me. I would have talked to him with him all day. In fact, later I did. I had a meeting, well, with his friend. Why, Patty? Because he has a greater influence over Yeah, he's hoping to find someone who doesn't know the scriptures well and cause trouble. If you go to another church, and Caleb's right, not every, you know, churches have blind spots. Don't start by talking to the immature members of the congregation. Go to the pastor and talk to the pastor. If the pastor seems unreasonable and proud, 
Caleb, what do you think you should do? Don't yeah, don't go to that church. Find a man who will look at the Word of God with you and have that discussion. Let me give you another true story. Um, periphery, not here in California, periphery here. Uh, young man, about Caleb's age now, this is years ago, but this guy was in his young early 20s, came to the pastor, said, uh, you know, I'd like to talk to you about alcohol. Pastor said, that's stupid. You know what I believe. I don't ever want to talk to you about that. And what does the young man do? He leaves the church. Now, the young man handled it correctly. He went to the pastor. He wants to discuss alcohol. I think the pastor should have sat down, opened the scripture, showed him what the scripture says about alcohol. It's not hard. We need to have that humble spirit. We, being the leaders of the church, need to have that humble spirit and be approachable. So that's what Caleb is talking about. If you're a mature Christian here, and you have a younger Christian approach you with questions about why our church believes what it does, find out. If you don't know, if you know, tell them. If you don't know, find out. Say, hey, that's a great question. I'm going to find out the answer. Let's meet next week and we can talk about that. It's not that we don't want to discuss doctrine. We don't want arguments and we don't want questions that lead to arguments. That's the difference. Does that answer your question, Caleb? Yes. Thank you. Good. It's 7.45. Last question or comment. We'll come back to this next week. We probably won't finish, but I like the discussion better anyway. Yeah, please don't misunderstand. I'm not closed to discussing the church's positions. I discuss any doctrinal statement. I'll discuss any doctrine in our statement of faith with you. I mean, not drop everything and do it, but we can set a time. We can have that discussion. But don't stir up trouble among the members discussing doctrines you disagree with, which, by the way, nobody in here is doing. So um, that's a good thing. Nirma. Yeah, Nirma, thank you. See, again, another good question. It is possible that pastors, by their behavior, will disqualify themselves from the ministry. And no matter how repentant they are, no matter how much their behavior change, changes in the moment, they would still need to step down from being the pastor of Elmira, or any church, but we're talking about our church. They'd, our, not we possess it, it's, we belong to it, uh, Elmira Baptist Church. And it's not even negotiable. Let's look real quick at 1 Timothy chapter 3. Um, and then, Nirma, if I don't answer your question, feel free to let me know. But I think what she's referring to in 1 Timothy 3 and also in Titus 1, it gives us a list of qualifications of a pastor. And if the pastor meets those qualifications when he's called to Elmira Baptist Church, but at some point in his life, you uh, should mean in his career as the pastor, he stops having those qualifications, then you all, we all, have the responsibility of removing him as pastor, no matter how repentant he is. Okay? So real quick here, First uh, Timothy 3, 1. This is a true saying. If a man desired the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop must then be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know uh, not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the ch church of God? 
not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into the into reproach and the snare of the devil. So let me give you another true story. I, I'm trying to give you true stories so you don't just think, well, he's making these things up. I, there's a pastor who tells this true story. He comes to a church. First Sunday there. Sits down. The pastor gets up. He says, I'm going to read a letter that I received this week. He reads this letter that slanders the pastor, says terrible things about the pastor, which he should not have read the letter. But he reads the letter. He says, and you didn't even have... The, the, the courage to sign your name. You come on up here right now. Well, let's have it out right here. Okay. If you go to a church like that, that man is a brawler. He's a striker. And if the church won't remove him as pastor, don't stay there. <laughs> because he doesn't meet the qualifications. You understand? It's not that I don't like that guy. I, I don't care if it says they're a Baptist church or Christ church. It doesn't matter what the name of the church is. And uh, so I think Nedema's question, was that your question, Nedema? is I can be repentant as a pastor, but if I fall out of these qualifications, I mean, obviously, the whole church knows I have, I need to step down as being a pastor. I can still be a member. I can still be restored and be a member, but we need to find a pastor who meets the qualifications. Okay, good, good question. Thank you uh, for these good questions. And I'm serious, Warren, about you finding those verses about elders because this comes up from time to time, and I'm always trying to sharpen my own understanding. And sometimes I think part of our problem, just this is directed to everyone, part of our problem is we get away from using biblical terminology and then we have trouble because we're not really sure what we're talking about. Grab a prayer sheet. Grab a prayer sheet and uh, let's... Um,